You are listening to the You Are Techie podcast, episode number 12. Welcome to the You Are Techie podcast, where it's all about growing in your techiness so you can find the tech job of your dreams. And now your host, technology learning coach, Ellen Toomey. Hi, I just wanted to jump in here and let you know that this podcast episode today was originally a Facebook Live. So it's actually a training tutorial, and that is best viewed in video form. And you can find that video on our website at youartechie.com slash 12. So feel free to listen or hop over to the website to watch on video. I hope you enjoy. I'm totally geeking out over the topic today. I love it. I'm not going to lie. Um, and here's the thing. This is where I say, like, if you're not into, if you're, like, not going into UX, this still helps you. Any person on the team can be the UX voice for these things that I'm going to tell you. And they're super, super simple. But UX can really be... Uh, we're gonna we're gonna jump right into the topic, okay? And and this topic is four features for quality UX. And I always say I like the term quality UX. You will hear the term um, easy to use. That's one phrase that people use. You will hear the term um, what's that? What's that other? I'm not. It's I'm blanking on it right now. But you, you'll hear terms that are different than quality UX and. I that so I don't know that that's industry standard, but the reason I use that term is um, if an experience, great experience, poor experience, it's very variable. And if you don't understand the users that are being served, you might not get why someone's made a certain choice that they've made. But I'm going to talk about four features and how it should be tweaked for users. Not that every, it's not like every website should have this, every software should have this, and then you have quality UX. But it's four features that, if done right, yield a quality UX experience. And that sounds vague, but it's not. It's very tangible. So the first thing I wanna start with that I can't even believe, like, I, I can't even believe this is still a thing, but it is, trust me, is simple menus. And the term simple is vague, so let me show you what an overcrowded menu looks like. And I'm gonna screen share here. Okay, don't know this company at all. So I'm gonna talk to you today about, there are a few companies that I know and I wanna share information, but I don't know this company, I won't even say the name. This menu's fine, but check this one out. What do you think about that? I mean, seriously! <laughs> Solutions by industry, solutions by need, retail, manufacturing. This is what I call info dump. They're just, they don't want to do the work. They don't want to do the work. And I would venture to say they do not have a UX designer. And many teams do not because often just the development, the software, the website getting up and running, that's at a huge expense, right? And I would say UX is a luxury, but it's not really in today's market. You really have to have it now. 
But, and I'm not saying like, okay, this company has bad UX. I'm saying this one area of not having a slimmed down menu is violating quality UX. Okay, so this is a really, this is what I'm talking about when I say it's really tangible. And this menu, as I showed, showed you, is fine. This one is fine. And they also have really nice spacing. Okay, so the words are not terribly big, but they have great, they have great spacing. Um, they're pushing the white space issue, but I, I like it. I think it's, I think it's, um, I think it's got enough space that it's readable. And so if I were you, I would be asking the question, okay, what is the right amount on a menu? And of course, there's no right or wrong answer. You can't say, no, you can only have three. But I would say, once you have five to seven items, you're really pushing it. You really are. I mean, this one only has four, okay? So, so it's challenging. And, and when I say simple menu, really what these are, oh, another, another huge one, these are sub-menus. So another problem that I frequently see is, and, and this one is, I would say, okay, but pushing it. Too many menus across the top. And so we need to really think about not, what is all the information that we have to give our users? That's the wrong approach. We really need to think about what is my user coming to this site to do and what do they need to find quickly? When we do that, when we give them a ton of stuff in the menus, here's what we're not doing. What we're not doing is allowing, um, is not creating the experience for the user. We should be, as the UX designer saying, go here, then go here then go there. You very much want to tell people what to do. Maybe that's why I like UX design. <laughs> but it's important that we eliminate confusion from their mind and give them a clear path. Now, the menus are there for the extra stuff. For If they already know where they want to go, sure, we want to allow people to go where they want to go. They can always go where they want to go on a website, links here, there. We want to make that available. But we don't want to um, create a situation in which it is unclear where to go, okay? So we want, we want to have a path for a particular user, we call it. Sometimes it's called a use case. Some people call it a customer journey. It's not really. That's marketing. But it's fine. That's what people want to say, as long as you understand that it's a use case, okay? Who, who, the use case is who is using the website for a specific thing. And uh, that'll become clearer as we go along. Okay, that brings us to the next one. In order to start that specific path of, of where to, what do I do, we want to have one main call to action. So for this one, I'm gonna use our coaching programs because when you come here, the first thing that you see are words and the only thing else that you see is a button. So what do I want you to do? Sign up promoting the program, like in our downtimes, I may change that button to learn more. But I actively update my website. I'm gonna to talk to you about that too. And there are parts of my website that are not at all what I want it to be. But there are other parts, that's because I'm focusing on certain things right now. And I think that's another important point that it's rare that your website is perfect for anyone. 
What's more important is that you are driving home the experience that you want. You're driving home what you want your users to do. And so what, what I would say here is look at how I have four items on my menu. What do, what do I, what is this even about? I have a podcast, I have jobs, I have courses, and I have coaching. It's pretty clear. And if you've ever seen our new members post, I also try to say what we do there. And I'm really evaluating that to say, is that too much? And how can we reduce that? And I want it to be really clear what we offer. And this menu has changed many times because what we offer has changed. The podcast is new, for example. But let me show you something. I do not have a sub-menu of every podcast that I have live. And if you think, oh my gosh, I would, no one would do that. They would do that. I Trust me, I have had clients and um, customers who, that is what they, I've had to battle them to say you can't, you don't want to list every blog post out. And if that's already clear to you, that's fine. Then I would say to you, your next level of becoming a UX designer is to be able to explain that well so that you can sell that position to your internal team, any clients that you have, management, whoever, because they not everyone will understand that. So I'm going to go ahead and click on the podcast, and I want to show you what I've done instead because I am allowing my users to see all of the podcasts. Now, what are you going to do here? You're going to listen now. And you can see at the top, like, it's new. I'm telling you what it is. The You Are Techie podcast with Ellen Toomey. But you can see as you scroll down, what do I say? Listen now. Listen now. What do, what do I want to do? And I'm going to talk about copy. But we're driving home. Here is where I am showing what my podcasts are. Not in this sub-menu. And I know that someone who has clicked on my podcast is interested in what? Podcasts. But if it's on the menu and they hover over it and it shows eight now, but I do a one a week, 52, no way. And you can say, well, oh, you can group them. No, no, no. When you have something where the content will be more than five or seven, that's it. You've got to find a different path for it. It's no longer a menu item. Okay. And so that's reduced menu. All right. But call, we're on call to action and the call to action here says, listen now. And I have multiple options, which is different than my coaching program experience, which says sign up now. It's a button where my call to action on the podcast is actually words. I can't even click on that. But the call to action is listen now. And then my user needs to make a choice. Okay. On which one they want to listen to. And then if you think, well, that isn't that too many options. I'm offering them the most recent one. Listen now. So the most recent one will always be the listen now first available. And they have they can just scroll to find other ones. And I think this is an important part because within one podcast page, let's go back to podcast, I am saying there are multiple experiences within here. Okay? You can see there's nothing to click on here. So scrolling, I'm already teaching you that scrolling is part of this interaction. Listen now. So now I can, so I can't do anything here. So what am I going to do? I'm going to scroll. I'm causing my user to scroll, which is not what I'm doing in the coaching. They don't have to scroll. That's not what I'm encouraging them to do first. I'm saying, this is the page where you sign up. Oh, you want to scroll? Go for it. But that's not the experience. Do you see how subtle that is? So again, listen now 
to episode eight with Jill Sanderson because she's the first one. You wanna go down and you wanna see the big picture approach to learning, go for it. And you can, I'm encouraging that scrolling. Now you might say, is there a certain point where like 52 becomes too many? Absolutely, absolutely. But here I'm just starting to say like, hey, hey, I have a podcast and there is content here for you to consult. Look at all this great content I have. And then if you scroll down, now I'm even telling you what companies I'm featuring. And I could, there's reason to put those companies at the top to show that I have credibility. There's absolutely, but I earn credibility by showing you all these different contents that I have talked to all these people. They're amazing. So really, I, this is for the people, I've made a decision that I say my call to action, my main call to action is listen now to my most recent podcast. And I do that in a completely different way than having that sign up now button on the coaching page. Okay, so we've gone over feature one menus and we've gone over feature two, call, main call to action. Hey techies, I just wanna take a minute to tell you about Spiffy On Demand Car Care. With four very active kids and my husband and I both running our own businesses, we are always looking for ways to 86 items from the to-do list. That's why I love Spiffy. They come right to my house. They'll go right to your house or office too. They'll get your car in tip-top shape, whether that's an oil change, a car wash, or car detailing. I know you've got those mashed up pretzels in the minivan. And Spiffy loves our mission of helping moms get into tech. That's why they're offering your techie podcast listeners a great deal. You'll get $20 off your oil change and $30 off any car detailing or car wash services by entering the promo code techie at checkout. How awesome is that? No more going to the local oil change store while the technician wastes your time with upsells. I seriously hate that. Just go to getspiffy.com, schedule your appointment, and enter the promo code techie, T-E-C-H-Y, at checkout. I've shown you, listen now, Okay, so this is a copy call to action. I want you to click on this episode. And I've showed you, shown you a sign up button. And now I wanna show you our, if you are not familiar, it says meet Spiffy, and I can go up even. So it's, it's getspiffy.com. Their call to action is what? Enter the zip code, check it. Because wouldn't, so they're an on-demand car service. They're gonna come to your house and change your oil in your car and they'll also come to your office like they started just coming to offices and then I think in the triangle we have a ton of people who work from home so they go to office parks they go to um, homes they work with fleet vehicles like car rentals or you know people or maybe uh, I don't know if they work with U-Haul but someone who has a bunch of trucks or whatever they do all that but they seriously come right to your house okay so think about this as pretend that you're uh, imagine that you're a spiffy customer, okay? What do you want to know? Because this podcast or this face, sorry, Facebook Live uh, or podcast is anywhere, right? You could be anywhere and be listening to this. So the first thing you want to know is, can they come to my house? Like, of course, that's the first thing you want to know. Now, spiffy might become like Amazon. And Amazon delivers literally everywhere. If they don't deliver to you, I mean, in America, they deliver. So that would not be the right call to action for Amazon. 
Can you understand how they're serving their user base at this time? I want to know, can you come to me? And so you enter your zip code and you check it. And that's the first most important thing. Now, here's the great thing is that let's say Spiffy can't service you yet. What are they getting on the back end? Information about who wants their services, which is great for everybody because they know where to go next. So this is a really cool call to action that uh, I'm excited to show you because you have to hit, it's not right for all companies and it's not right for all companies at all times. We're hitting Spiffy at just the right time. They're not, a, I wouldn't call it, I mean, they are a startup, but they've been around a few years. So they have, as you can see, it says on-demand car care from coast to coast, Los Angeles, Dallas, Raleigh. They, they have presence in a lot of different places. And I can't tell you, go check it out if you want to see, but I thought there was something like 50 cities. So it, I think it's really, really grown. Um, but that wasn't always the case. And so it's just interesting to see how, as let's say you're the UX designer for Spiffy, you are, you have to think about where your company is in the growth process. Like where are you? And then where are your clients and how can you find out who potential clients are? And this one little call to action that is on the front, the homepage front and center it's really clear about that. So, so number one, we have simple menus. Number two, call to action. We're now on number three. And I'm going to explain the term onboarding because this is one of the things that when I went back to the workforce, I was like, what the heck is onboarding? <laughs> but in regards to UX, onboarding means when you bring on, I mean, it's not rocket science, but when you bring on a new user and that beginning process of teaching a new person about your website or product, that's like a huge part of UX because you should assume, here's the way to think about it. If you design for someone who is new, how much clearer will it be for people who've been around? It'll just be clear for, for the, it won't be a problem for those people that are been around. You might have some additional screens for new people to teach them. Sure. Okay. That's fine. You don't have to do that for your existing, but thinking through what it feels like to be new to your site. Like when someone's coming to your techie, or I'm going to give you another example, um, besides your techie and spiffy, you want them to feel like you get them and you know where they want to go. And you need to assume these things. This is one of the things I feel like it's hard sometimes for, for moms a lot of times, but you need to assume some things about your user. And sometimes that can feel like judgment. And I'm not about judgment. I mean, I, I, I'm not, I try to release judgment of people. I think that that's uh, a negative. I definitely think that that's not something we want to do but we need to assume things about people and then we test to see if our assumptions are right. It's not arrogant to say, this is what the user should do. It's part of the UX process and it's decisive. And that is one of the things that we need to do. When we don't decide, we confuse our users. So we have to make a decision and be okay with it being wrong. And it will be wrong, but you'll find out it'll be totally wrong if you never decide. Does that make sense? So onboarding, so to have quality UX, the third thing we need is a really clear 
and um, decisive onboarding process, that begins with the login screen. Uh, it really is the create, create account screen, but um, sometimes those are combined and I'm gonna focus on login right now, but just know like, okay, create account, fine. Create account is where you really start. Uh, that's just kind of an iffy part. But I wanna talk about um, create account or the login screen that are generally kind of the same-ish screen. And you don't have to do it that way, but that's pretty common practice. Hey, create account, you guys have all seen it, right? There's a box, you log in, it says log in, and then if you can't, oh, if you don't have one, create account. And if you create account, already have an account, log in, right? It's kind of the inter intertwined. Knowing, we don't want to have, just like with the menus, we don't have to want to have too much stuff. We don't have too many options, uh, not options. We don't have, want to have too many input boxes for people to enter information. But it's challenging because one of the industry standards that um, is kind of accepted, and, and maybe this will be tested, and maybe people have used the web, the web long enough, but today, industry standards says you require your users to input their password two times. And in case you are not familiar, this is, this is to reduce uh, the challenges with people inputting their password in incorrectly, so they may be fat finger something, and then they think their password is one thing, but it's another. Um, that's what that is to overcome. So you have a user retype their password, you have them type it in twice, and then it's, you know, everything is better, and it's just, we don't have to deal with those issues as much. This is why you have seen the perpetuation, Google, because, you know, they know everything, and, um, and uh, is Amazon? Maybe Amazon is doing this more and more, um, but definitely Google and Facebook, you've seen their logins as an option for other people to log in is because then they don't have, we don't have to remember as many passwords and we reduce our uh, we reduce the barrier to, to new users logging in. But there are lots of situations, like if you work for a corporate SaaS, you're not going to use Google or Facebook. So if you're at home, staying at home with the kids, or you work for um, an online type of business, you're going to be like, doesn't everyone just use that? And the answer is not in corporate. In corporate, you don't, you don't use that. And there are a number of, because you don't want Google to have your data, lots of reasons. But I have a client, um, a UX client, who I, I help them out, I consult with them. I love Carly, the CEO. She's really, she's young and awesome, and I love women tech entrepreneurs, so it's really cool. And Carly has this app. I'll tell you what parts I consulted on, but I didn't do the UI for this, and it's really awesome. So I don't want to take credit for that. So the when, so this is Wham, and it's in beta. Do you see that it's in beta? Do you know what that means? I feel like I feel like maybe most people know, but it just means it's in test mode. Um, but it is a fully functioning site, so you would have to go to joshrogers.wam is the name of the of the app w a a m i o to log in here, and you can start a free seven day trial. Okay, so let me tell you what Carly and I talked about in regards to the login process. It what we talked about is how much information we want our users to enter at onboarding. Okay, now that's diff, onboarding is bigger than login. Login is just one part of that. So after someone logs in for the first time, which yes, you can track that uh, on create account, yes, but you can also track when they just log in for the first time. And Wham wants to ask a series of questions. Now they're not doing that because they're nosy. They're doing it for two reasons. Number one, 
Um, and if you're, if you're like, what the heck is WAM? WAM is access all workouts and videos, contents for training. So become a WAMI. So they are, they offer basically workouts of any kind from really amazing, typically celebrity type um, workout professionals. And so some of those are like on TV celebrities. So what's this woman? She was on this, but she was looking, she's got this rose. She's, um, you guys are totally going to know when I'm not, but like Bachelor or Bachelorette. So she's a TV celebrity, but they have other people who are like celebrities because they're just a trainer or they're working out. And so this is a workout app where you can sign up for uh, Wham, but get access to all of these trainers and you have customized workouts. Okay, so I tell you that so you understand the app, but also so you understand that entering initial information in the onboarding process is really important because they want to customize the experience to you. So we had a big discussion about weight. They wanted to ask about weight. And I was like, okay, I'm not gonna, if you have me log in, you're like, how much do you weigh? I personally am not gonna wanna share that information immediately. So uh, we talked through like, do we want to ask that down the road? Now it's, I wanna be clear that you can skip each of these steps. You, you don't have to do it, but it's still part of the onboarding process. And one of the things that we talked about was getting people to commit enough information that where the app could be helpful to them, but not overloading them with like every piece of information they ever want. Does that make sense? So being really intentional and clear about what you're asking for and why you're asking for it. And let me give you one more component of that. You might think, no, just don't ask them anything. No, that's, you're totally bugging them. And actually, that's not true. You want people to show you that they are committed to their app. And if they're not committed to your app, they're probably not gonna use it. They're not gonna be a great customer for you. That's fine, but asking those questions gives you an indication of who's really into it and who's not. And I know we can't be into everything. That's totally fine. This wham, this app will be for some of you. It won't be for others. But when you're creating that onboarding process as a UX designer, I want you to think that and understand that depending on what your software does, it is okay to ask people to give you information that will help you serve them better. It's just important that you really think through. And in Wham, we really thought it through, like went through it, tweaked it, changed it. How about this? What about that? And, um, and not only did we do that, but I told her, and we talked about how we would make a decision about one screen, but then we, but the, that screen would be tested later. We would test A, B, and C. So it wasn't, this is where I constantly am saying the word iterative. It's an iterative process. It's not always going to be that this is the exact right onboarding. And I've had clients with that, they're like, okay, we want to know the right UX. What is the best performing? It isn't that clear. There's an art to it because you're serving your users. And like with Spiffy, where you are as a company and what you serve changes. Like Carly here, she has a beta version. This is beta. So it's a different version than when she has 20,000 subscribers. It's a different experience that you want to give. You don't want to change everything but you definitely are going to want to tweak different aspects. Okay, so the third thing is onboarding. So number one, simple menus. Number two, 
one main call to action. Number three, amazing onboarding. Let's say decisive onboarding process. Okay, I have one more. I have the fourth feature. You can see how this can be hard. To, it's a lot of information about four features, but I hope you're finding this super tangible and actionable because um, it's just it's just not as vague as um, some of the other things. And I'm trying to talk about products and services that you care about. So hopefully that's interesting to you too. And they're diverse. So we'll see. We'll see if this next one's a little bit, um, is definitely directly related to you. Uh, if the other ones are maybe tangentially related. And it's just fun that I, you know, kind of know intimately those people in that in those companies. But the next one, I don't know her yet, but I'm trying to, and that's the mom project, Allison Robinson. So if you know her and you want to introduce me, please do. Um, but I want to show you what they, the mom project, totally amazing um, concept of helping moms find great quality jobs that are flexible and meet their demands and people who, companies who put their services on this, on the mom project, believe in that. Wayfair was on there and I thought, well, that's cool. I think these, you know, instead of monster.com or Indeed, I talk about the Indeed death scroll. I mean, Indeed's great. It's got a lot of benefits, but Oftentimes, these smaller uh, job search platforms, and I even have some jobs on my website, but it, we're not, that's not our main function. Our main function is training. Um, I just do that because I know you guys want it, and I'll be talking to you more about it. But the Mom Project, it's not all tech. I will say that. It's not all tech. But I just love the concept because you've already filtered out companies who don't understand that you're a mom. Well, that's really cool, right? Because you can, and yeah, sure, there'll be less jobs. But you can, they've done some of that filtering for you. So where I talk about the Indeed death scroll and it's like so hard to see all these jobs and then you read the post and you're like, Are, is this person gonna understand? What's great about the Mom Project is they've filtered that out for you. I think we're gonna see a trend towards more niche type job searches. I've already seen more of that so that some of the filtering has already been done for you. So what I wanna show you is that I'm actually talking about copy right now. I'm talking about copy. So what they're, what is great about the mom project is let's just talk about their experience. When I click get started, they immediately track me in one of two things. So the first thing I'll say, so the fourth feature is copy. And the fourth thing that what I'll say about the mom project is join the mom project. The copy is specific to what we, to what they are directing the experience to be. Get started, join the mom project. And who joins the mom project? Two types of user groups. Talent sign up, so if I'm looking for a job, that's me. Company sign up, if, I'm, if I have a job post, that's me. And you see that when we delineate these two paths, and not every website or app will have those two paths. The mom project serves what's called a two-sided market. They need people to post jobs and they need people to sign up for jobs. And when you have that, what's a great way to do that is to just own it and say, user, I need you to pick one of these two things. And I wanna be very clear here that the copy they're using, join. It doesn't say sign up. It's a sign up on the button. They're trying to delineate that. It doesn't say, um, want to hang out with us, it, it says join. And they're saying, 
that, that basically is a welcoming word to say, be a part of this with us, be a part of it. And, and so that's definitely copy that I want you to, to use and to think about. It's also when we talk about copy, this fourth feature, you as a UX designer, you wanna use words that your audience uses. So if you read the word join and you're like, I would never say that, then this might not be for you, okay? They've picked this word because their audience says it or they've tested it or they need to change the word. Those are pretty much the only options. So taking words that your user actually says and putting that on your website and putting that in your app is a great way to create the experience that your users want. And this is, if you're starting to see this connection that I've been trying to talk about with women in tech and why we need women to be making these decisions, and for so long we've like beat ourselves up about it being right or wrong, if you go to a website and don't have the experience that you want, it wasn't designed for you or it was poorly designed. There isn't anything wrong with you. And the fact that we're creating more and more websites and companies that serve moms and women is fantastic. And guess who should be working at those companies making those decisions? Moms and women who know how we speak. Does that make sense? I hope that's helpful. So when we talk about our user set and we're thinking about how our users use our app. Again, it's this balance between the company or the software, what it's trying to accomplish and what the users are trying to do. And how much we have on the screen, the mom project, they have exceptional designers. This is like literally, I would say, what is the perfect amount? Okay, fine, there's no perfect amount, but if there was, this would be it. One heading, two buttons. I'm an individual looking for my next opportunity. I'm looking to hire for a role or project on behalf of the company. It answers everything, it's very clear. I love all of everything about it. Um, but we need to understand what our users are trying to accomplish. So let me give you two dichotomies of when we can have more copy, an example of that, and then when we would have less copy. And the mom product is a great balance between the two. If I'm a lawyer and I am go to a website for a legal tech software, I'm a lawyer, I read copious amounts every single day. I basically read for a living, read, interpret, write. And so when I'm going to buy a software for my work, I have a much higher capacity to accept more words on a screen. I'm trying to just be really clear about that. I hope that makes sense. If I am a busy mom who is go, and it doesn't have to be a mom, but I'm just giving you a use case. If I'm a busy mom who goes to Grubhub, don't you dare give me any words that are gonna slow me down from ordering food, which maybe I don't order food every day, but I eat every day. As that legal professional, I buy software maybe once a year. I eat every three times a day, maybe more. And if I go to Grubhub, you show me pictures, you show me buttons and you get what I need and you show me just who's, is it Jimmy John's? Can I get it on my, can I get it to my door? Boom, bam, get me through the process. I am going to Grubhub for efficiency and to get it done. If you don't know what Grubhub is, it's a food delivery service. I but I, um, the copy, use words from your audience and number two, have the right amount of copy for your audience. Again, if you're like, I have no idea what the right amount is, the mom project, this right here, join the mom project, this screen is a great example of the right amount of copy. But again, think about um, 
Number one, if I'm a lawyer, and number two, if I'm a Grubhub. Those are kind of two extremes. And sure, I'm um, if I'm looking for a job, I can accept more words on a page. But what is the mom project trying to do? They're saying, hey, you're a mom, you're busy, and two, we're trying to simplify job search. So I think that that's a really great example of how to have less copy on a page. I'll show you one more example because I think this is it's amazing how much time I put into thinking about this, but I like literally spent so much time and I just kept asking myself, what am I, what do my um, users want? What do my students want? What do they really want? And I'm like, they, they want a gosh darn job. You guys told me you want a job. You want to get hired. And that's why I use that copy, get hired. I hope that is clear and um, understandable, and I hope that you enjoyed the four features that lead to quality UX. It went into a lot of detail. So I'm excited about this one, and I, I think that it's gonna provide you, you know, the real tangible pieces of information that you need to, to build those UX skills. And I just want to thank you so much for being here and taking time out of your life and you're learning to spend time with me. So thanks so much and have a great one. Hey, if you enjoyed listening to this podcast, you have to sign up for the UR Techie email list. Imagine being in the tech job of your dreams. Join me to get the strategies training and never ending support to get hired. Sign up at URTechie.com. That's Y-O-U-A-R-E-T-E-C-H-Y dot com. I'll see you next time.